0: Thanks for checking out the Indie Handshake Wrestling Podcast. My my name is Paul Ponte, and I'm here today with Battle King Dave Dutra.
1: What's up, everybody? Thanks for having me, Paul.
0: Absolutely. I'm so stoked to have you on, uh, fresh off of you coming off of AEW Dark, facing off against Ricky Starks, which was awesome. Um, Although the guy who did the Titantron thing needs to know how to spell check his work, but that's okay.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Datuda.
0: Yeah. Adding Uh, some extra syllables there.
1: (laughs) You know that's not the first time that my name has been misspelled exactly like that.
0: Oh, really? Okay. Yeah.
1: One time, uh, I wrestled Kashida, and a Japanese, some Japanese press wrote my name out as D-A-T-U-R-A, so Datura. And I think it's because, for whatever reason, Dutra is hard for them to pronounce, so they spelled it as they would pronounce it. So if you say like Dave Datura. It's ah. sort of like that. So I thought, that, I don't know. It was sort of funny. I saw how the, I watched the dark and I saw that and I sort of chuckled a little bit, but <laughs> it, it is what it is. I thought it was pretty cool that they took the time to put a little graphic together like that. So.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, you got to think like, you remember, um, well, like anytime you see them on, uh, raw or SmackDown, especially back in the day, like whenever they started off with someone who wasn't signed, they would just be in the ring. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean, they wouldn't even yeah. show an entrance. You'd just be there. It's like.
1: And and best case scenario, you get um, like your name with like this really generic, like, like bluish green, like with little things spinning around. It's like it's some some, like out of the box, like here, you've just learned how to do motion graphics and you just put it on there. But they actually took the time to draw this like warrior Viking head looking thing. And so uh, for that, I thought that was pretty cool. Dude.
0: I really like that AEW does that with their, uh, with their unsigned talent. Like WWE is always like, okay, well, you know, you're, you're Joe Jackson and here's your, uh, wear some colorful tights, right. be in the ring. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, you're not allowed to really have a gimmick. You're like, okay, I guess.
1: <laughs> I, they, I mean, they, they, I think they, they understand where we're coming from as, you know, local unsigned talent that are trying to get their names out there and. You know, we know our role there, right? And they know why they need to use us. But at the same time, they're like, you know, let's give these guys a little bit of a rub. They can use the names that they've established. And in some cases, some of the guys who get on there already are established in some sense in the indies, right? So Mm. I think it's a win-win for everybody.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So let's go ahead and let's let's go back in time now to the start of uh, you discovering the world of independent pro wrestling. How did you switch off from, you know, watching the big leagues, quote-unquote, to finding out what indie wrestling is? Uh,
1: I think I found out what indie wrestling was the same way I think many people did, and at least people in California, and I'm sure many of the guests that have been on your podcast. um, I found out from Beyond the Mat. So, I I mean, at that time in the late 90s, it was starting – uh, to th- there were a lot of things coming out that were like peeling the cur- or pulling the curtain behind the business a little bit and as a teenager during that time I was, it was sort of like a wow moment so whether it was like the secret lot secrets of pro wrestling special you on NBC um, or in this case beyond the mats where you get the or, uh wrestling with shadows was another mm-hmm. one, where you get this behind the scenes in the business um, anytime something like that came up, I looked everywhere and scoured and I found out beyond the map was something that was limited release in theaters and I never got to see it in theaters, which really made me mad. But the moment it got released on DVD uh, or VHS, I think is the first time I saw it. Um, I rented that was looking forward to all the, the WWF content, but had no idea, you know, cause I think it pretty much opened more so with the APW stuff. Um, So you got Tony Jones and Michael Modest, and you get to watch them go to uh, the Arco Arena and do their dark matches. And that just sort of blew my mind, and they showed all the little clips of the garage and how to train to be a wrestler. Um, So that opened up my eyes and went, okay, so there really are places where you go before the big leagues, and you go and you learn and you train and et cetera, so.
0: Yeah, when I was, I remember because, Every once in a while, WCW in the late 90s would advertise the WCW power plant. And I always thought, right. oh, so that must just be how it works. Like you just go yeah. and then that's that's the only way to do it. Oh, you know, so right. weird. So I, I wanted to talk to you a bit about um, the pro wrestling iron tryout yes. that you had. So yeah. I, I, I first uh, met you recently at a big time wrestling show mm-hmm. uh, that you were at. At the time, I had no idea... That me and you were at the same Pro Wrestling same. Iron Trial together.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that that that's, like blew that's how my long mind. It's been tall. That's how long it's been. Yeah, uh, uh,
0: that that blows my mind. So, uh, how'd you hear about the the PWI Trial? What was that experience like for you?
1: Sure. Um, so, I dabbled quite a bit in backyard wrestling uh, before my time as a pro wrestler, even before my time at Iron. Um I ran my own like backyard promotion, um, and I met lots of, you know, friends that I still have to this day through all of that. All of this is all in San Jose. Um, and over time, like I, I think this was like 2002 ish. Um, I was graduating high school. Uh, my dad was actually positioning himself to move out of San Jose, which is where we did all of our backyard shows. And he was going up to uh, Rockland up here past Sacramento. Um, so we basically had to end everything we were doing. So as a backyard wrestler, who's looking for places to wrestle um, the network that we have of kids that we essentially had established, we knew people who knew people. And I basically through AOL and just mutual friends met Nick Aragon who was doing a lot of volunteer work for Roland Alexander at the garage. He would do a lot, I think of the DVD production, mm-hmm. uh, filming whatnot. And I, and you know, he can correct us if, if I'm wrong on this, but I believe he had some kind of a working agreement with Roland that if he did all this volunteer work, you know, he wasn't going to get paid for it. In exchange, he would be allowed to, rent out the garage for you know one or two dates a month to run his own essentially backyard shows out of the garage so um i coordinated this online and then i got a few of my guys to go out to hit the apw garage and we basically had matches there uh for nick it was called wfw Mm -hmm. Uh, so we did basically wrestled for him for about I don't know the tail end of 2002 through the middle of 2003, and during like the last maybe one or two shows he did before he called it quits, which was spring of 2003, uh, he had told me, "Hey, there, um, Mike Monis and Donovan Morgan, who opened up their own school, they're they're doing a tryout. You should sign up for it. It's it's pretty. Things like thirty five dollars." And if you get in like you'll get trained to be a pro and at that time that was pretty much the only left like that was the only goal left for me because all the guys like at wfw um i met chupacabra because he was wrestling there as a backyard or two um uh what is it what's i mean he's called arcade uh at hood slam he he's um the angry video game nerd
0: oh uh was it called uh, chance Calloway was he was at chance PWI, Calloway,
1: right? Yeah. So he was chance Calloway there and I met him and both of them went up to SPW and started their training right when they were finishing up doing the backyard stuff. Um, so I was like, okay, well maybe this is the next step for me. So I went, that's where I led to the tryout. They pretty much wrapped up the stuff they did in the garage. I did the tryout. Um, and at that tryout and not only you, but, uh, chemo. Yeah. Timo was there and I'm trying to, th- uh, Ray Kijimura. Yep. So and I'm not trying to think if there's anyone else I could, I could remember, but yeah, I mean, that, that's where it started. And the, the tryout was what it was and they, I re- I, you might be able to refresh my memory. I remember doing a, like a bench press contest of like how many, uh, yeah. to do. I remember doing a promo, which I think you had to do like a 30 or 60 second promo and then they did like basic drills and cardio. Sounds about yeah. right.
0: Yeah. I remember it started off with like doing runs. Like that's the, but that was the beginning. They were like, okay, yeah. we're going to run back and forth in like the parking lot. And then we came in it was like, yeah, the bench press. I think there was like, they might've had us do 10 and ones, but I don't remember. I remember they had this do, do I had us do that during training, but I don't remember if it was yeah. during tryout, but I do remember we did the promo. Cause that was the only thing I did good. <laughs> <laughs> that was a, at the end. My Michael Modis was like, okay, Let's be real. You were shit at everything else, but you were great. You were the best at the promo. And I was like, well, thank you.
1: <laughs> that's wonderful. like. Me. Maybe a manager. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I,
0: that's what I ended up doing. I was training to be a manager, but yeah. Um, yeah. I was, I was actually at uh, a couple of those WFW shows. I remember one time Nick needed a ref and he was like, will you be ref for the show? And I was like, sure. Why not? And he's like, okay, cool. Here's the shirt. And he gave me a ref shirt. That was like a size small. And I was like, bro, that's not happening. I was like, I don't know where yeah. you think any of that's going to go. So I had to like put it like in like my back pocket, I had, like a Superman shirt on. I was like Superman, the ref basically is. Yeah. I remember
1: ridiculous. that. Um, now that you mentioned that I remember wrestling a match and I think I have the footage somewhere where the referee is wearing a Superman shirt. So that was you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was wrestling like super Joe or the masochist or. Yeah. Something like that. I-, I have that footage somewhere. I'll find it.
0: That shit was fun, man. That was, that was a good time. That was just like a lot of people yeah. just having fun and it was, it was great. But that, that early PWI stuff, it was very like everyone, especially around that tryout time period was so optimistic about pro Wrestling iron. It was yeah. like, Hey guys, we're going to do this right. Everything's going to be done. Great. You know, we got this connection to pro Wrestling Noah, everything's blah, 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 blah. And then of course, eventually that would all go away. But at the beginning it seemed like everyone was gung ho on pro Wrestling iron.
1: Yeah. um, I mean, that was the general consensus from everyone I spoke to, but granted I was only speaking really to people on that side of the fence. There was this like civil war between APW and pro wrestling iron. And it was like a completely different story, the matter, depending on who you spoke with. Right. Um, But yeah, being on that side, I mean, they were basically saying that, you know, Roland's corrupt. It's just really bad business there. It's all in it for themselves. um, The wrestlers aren't getting any opportunities this is where it's at. We have Masawa, you know, we had Masawa here. We can get guys out there. Um, so I, I, felt like, Oh wow, it's an awesome place. They told me, I mean, fast forwarding past the contest, they, they would tell me that uh, they now have a connection with um, a lot of the Lucha guys. So they're offering, you know, training in American, Japanese and Lucha Libre. And I'm like, wow, I'm getting like a taste of everything. Right. Talk about, um, being well-versed in every single style. I'm like, this is perfect.
0: Yeah, and and what, when you actually started wrestling and, you know, consistently and you started checking out the different promotions, big-time wrestling, all-pro wrestling, and now you're starting to, like, mix around SPW and everything, what what did you start noticing, like, the differences were between the promotions? Or was there a difference?
1: Um, I mean, I, I think there are, like, some differences between them. I, I think there are philosophical differences in some like that in like how businesses ran um, some companies valued uh, the production far more than others did some value just more of the, the psychology and the wrestling um, the uh, APW it's very old school because of Roland so in that sense like things how were ran for gym wars were very old school like a lot of companies I, I work for then and now, it's like when they do booking meetings, they just basically like say, all right, everybody, let's get together. Here's what, here's the card. You guys go this amount of time, blah, 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 and they just read it all down. Uh, the old uh, gym wars, it was like you go into a room with the booker and Roland, um, who wasn't booking at the time. Um, he was just more the promoter, right? So you go into an office, Roland's office, with them, the booker, and your opponent. And they go over like specific details and things like that. It was just a different dynamic. Um, When they got like television for a little short while at Jim Wars, they really valued production, um, working the hard cam. Not every promotion does that. Um, uh, BTW was really more about the audience from my perspective working there. They they have this really hardcore fan base that, you know, you could see the same people from when I started in 2009 that are still going to these shows. Yeah decade later it's like the same passionate hardcore fan base they love their flying talent so uh, there, there's differences I mean, and no one is really right or wrong it's just different wrestling and, and that's the beautiful thing about pro wrestling especially now i think more fans are starting to realize that there's a flavor of wrestling for everybody yeah and you can have multiple promotions in one smaller area like the bay yeah. Uh, and you're going to get a different product every time, like going to an APW show in daily city is a totally different experience than going to BTW in Newark, um, which mm. is different than gold rush in Pacifica, uh, is, which is different than SPW in Sacramento. Right. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. I, I always thought that like, especially with big time wrestling, cause I was always, I used to work, uh, doing like their website and like taking pictures around ringside and stuff. And I remember like a, a lot of guys, uh, at the time, I also helped out at APW, but I remember a lot of guys at APW. They were very like, "Oh, big time wrestling," you know, Pff, like, kind of like it's oh, it's like a carny actor kind of thing. Right. I'm like, "Hey, you could say what you want. They're drawing consistently better than a lot of a lot of companies. Yeah. You can't really say that for a lot of people."
1: And what time was that? Like, give me a year.
0: Oh shoot, 2000, 2001. Yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, and you know, I-, I can say this now. APW back then. Um, or I mean, I, can, I don't go that far back, but I bet guys like Vinny Massaro could probably say something like this. But even when I started at APW in 2008, it was still like that. So they had this idea that they trained at a, at a higher level than most other companies um, and that they almost looked down upon a lot of them. You know what I mean? Like they don't go through the rigor that the boot camp was designed for. They don't get taught by people that were taught by you know legends like uh like Tony, or not I'm thinking of uh Rick Thompson? Rick Thompson, but um I can't think of his name at the moment. I'm drawing a blank. I'll it'll come back to me. But even prior to that, like because Roland prides himself on being able to you know associate with all these guys in the 70s and the war Shire and
0: mm.
1: all that stuff. Um so it, it, they looked upon themselves as sort of elitist in that way. Um, and yeah, they would sort of uh, shine other promotions and that, but that sort of faded pretty quickly. Um, right when I started in APW, uh, there was like an exodus in that like Gabe Ramirez, who was booking. He pretty much left to do his own thing at revolution within three months of me signing up. And that like not only caused a riff in general, but it, it I think it changed Roland a little bit. And then he started to change his tone, change his uh, views of other promotions. He started encouraging more uh, camaraderie with other promotions and, you know, you know, why don't you go help Rain Crew with this company? And, you know, it he wasn't like that for the first yeah you know, I knew him. And from everything I heard, he definitely wasn't like that before. It was more like, "Hey, you either work APW and you you excel, or you go work for those you know other promotions, and you're not going to yeah. go."
0: Yeah. Kind of well, like we talked to Michael Modest. We have this like documentary coming out at the, near the end of the year, and he okay. talked about Roland Alexander. The reason APW started with Michael Modest is because he was working for another guy, and he said, "I'm going to put that fucking guy out of business." Right. That's <laughs> what he said. That's how it started, and then. Like with Vinny, he mentioned on the podcast, he w- he was at the APW tryout. He didn't participate. He didn't do anything. He was just there and he was photographed there. And because he was at the PWI tryout, Roland was like, cool, now you're blacklisted from APW. And he was like, yeah. but like, okay. So like that doesn't, yeah. Like Roland was always very vindictive. It's good to hear that, you know, towards the end, he, he kind of softened that. And he kind of maybe, maybe he started realizing, you know, Yeah, it's not that one it's wrestling. It's not, you know, it's not diplomatic war here. Uh, but also there's nothing like, like the decline of business all around that will really make people start to reevaluate their priorities. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like we were involved very early on with like pro wrestling. that was when like wrestling was so freaking hot. Like it was insane. Like ECW was still on television along with WCW, along with WWF. And it was just like, Indies were hot. Everyone was hot. Everything was great, and then like towards like the late twenty like two thousand ten ish, whatever. Indies were hard,
1: hard. Oh man, it was bad.
0: Yeah, it was bad.
1: So,
0: I'd like to hear your perspective as someone who really like kind of felt that ebb and flow because I feel like now we're in another boom where it's. I feel up until, up until freaking COVID happened. Uh, yeah. I felt like Indies were hot again. 100%. So what would what was your experience like like feeling out this roller coaster?
1: So and I, it's funny i was just talking to another guy um long time apw guy about this like maybe three days ago um about that you, you were seeing guys now that have been in the business for two years three years like they're they might as well just be rookies um and they're young they're talented and all of a sudden they're contracted like they're working at uh, AEW or Impact or Ring of Honor or NXT. And we, him and I were talking going, Jesus, like, you know, did we come in at the right or wrong time, right? Because when I came in, because um, obviously I, start, I, I was at Iron for a little while, but I, I stepped away and then I came back. And then APW was, you know, 2008 was when I debuted though. And it was so dead. Like everyone was struggling to draw like 40 or 50 people. Didn't matter where you go. Um, the only guy, and to his credit, that did really well during that time was Gabe. Um, Gabe found a niche with Lucha Libre, and in that two thousand eight to 12 time frame that I worked for Gabe, he was consistently drawing five hundred plus. Um, but he was the only one, and everywhere everywhere else, it was bad. I mean, we didn't even charge money to get into Gym Wars, and we would we would sometimes struggle to get forty. It was just a. It was a, it was a hard time, and uh, it's just funny now. It's like, I mean, COVID threw us all for a loop. But prior to COVID, you would now get. I mean, if you as long as you promote right now, we have. I think the internet has sort of matured a little bit, and how things are getting promoted online and social media. But you can get crowds now. You know, two three hundred, which is a, a normal seems like normal wherever you go and now there's IWTV so indies now have a much larger platform if you want to go that route to broadcast your stuff um but it's just crazy but yeah um I got in there and you know you're scraping around NorCal and NorCal was an island is what we were talking about it's like you can work for a dozen promotions and they're Literally, were like a dozen plus promotions in one small condensed area because everyone wants to be the booker and everyone wants to be a promoter. Um, that all drew poorly, and you can get your reps in with matches, but no one sees it. Um, Southern California, if anyone from California got praise, it was usually down south, Mm -hmm. and so yeah, we were like effectively an island, and that didn't really change until I felt like the mid 20 teens. Yeah. Which is coincidentally when I had first decided to like finally like retire, so to speak, I felt like <laughs> I, I retired and then they did King of Indies again, uh, like three months later. And then I felt like, wow, okay, Evolve is really putting a, a footprint into the Indies of you know what it could be and ROH is doing really well. And now all these Indies are popping up that are doing really great. Uh, Gorilla became like this monster kind of a promotion for indies. And then it just boomed again all the way. And APW sold like four or 5,000 seats at the Cow Palace. It's just yeah. like, what's going on here? <laughs> um, but yeah, and then we were doing great until COVID. But yeah, I, I try to remain optimistic that when things finally normalize, people just are starving for entertainment. Whether it be going to the movies, coming to a wrestling show, and they will come back and we will hopefully continue the boom or a new boom, whatever you want to call it.
0: Yeah, I feel like, you know, part of it is like, I- I'm very much, you know, of this like California mindset that like, yeah, we need to do everything we can to for like the virus, like to actually like stop this from going. But it is like frustrating when you see like other states that can have like outdoor shows with social distancing and they're having like GCWs running shows like and it's like frustrating fr- from being over here and seeing that because being like damn I kind of wish you know yeah I'll, I'll go sit like 10 feet away from someone else on a football field and watch a sh- watch a show like <laughs> come on you know
1: it's I go up and down on it um I, I I do get a little frustrated like here I am ready to wrestle and no one nowhere's open here. But then every time one of those shows pops up, and then you hear the story of oh, three people at the venue contracted COVID nineteen, you're like oh, well, maybe maybe we're doing the right thing. <laughs> yeah, because um, no amount of wrestling is worth someone dying over this. Right? So yeah, I- I'm all for obviously I just wrestled in Florida, right? So but I- I'm all for still doing shows now as long as the proper protocol and safety measures are taking place. The problem is, is that, you know, I don't know how many Indies can guarantee that. Yeah. I, I would expect that they just uh, from
0: a cost for, standpoint.
1: Yeah. From a, like you require a COVID test for every performer, whether you're a wrestler or ring announcer, a referee, it doesn't matter. Uh, and that has to be done within X number of days of the show. And it has to be negative and you have to have proof, uh, at the venue that you tested negative for it. Right. You know, temperature checks, um, you know, social distancing for locker rooms, social distancing for fans. I mean, it's a lot of work to manage all that. And I think that's why most Indies just aren't running because of it. I can't speak for other Indies right now that are running if they are practicing that, but I can tell you that if they're not, I'm not comfortable. Um, One of the reasons I was, Obviously, a lot of people would never turn down an opportunity like AEW, but, um, to their credit, they take this stuff very seriously. And I did have to go through a lot of steps from a safety, uh, protocol in Mm -hmm. order to get there. And that made me feel actually more comfortable as a performer and willing to, you know, go through the travel to get out there and, and go through all that. So,
0: so how did this opportunity come about? Like, how did you hear about it? What was like, you know, what was the, the steps that you needed to kind of take to get to there?
1: Um, I think it has, you know, a lot to do with positive word of mouth, you know, and I, people go into bat for you and whatnot. And, you know, I, I had new photos taken with the character. Um, so I was trying to get those out there. Um, and I sort of got uh, it came about like in within, gosh, I want to say just under two weeks from the taping date that I just got notified, hey, if you can be in Jacksonville and the state, you know, will use you. So it it, I, it sort of caught me off guard because I wasn't really expecting it. I had taken a couple steps to, you know, be ready for it. But then, it, and then I'm like, ah, you know, it may not happen. And then it happened. So then I'm like, okay, this is real. Um, let's do the next things, you know, let me go take the COVID test. And let me get, you know, basically dot my I's, cross my T's kind of thing. Uh, and then I, obviously I, that includes like getting, you know, make my flights, uh, hotel, all that stuff, make sure it's all squared away. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it, I literally got notified maybe two weeks before I had to be there. Just wow. So um, I had to, I had to get a lot of my ducks in a row <laughs> and set it all up, but, um, it happened and it was awesome. It was a really, truly great experience. Um, hope it, it continues that way. So we'll see.
0: Yeah, I mean that—that's the good thing too. Is I feel like, you know, if you get called by them, you're a little bit more optimistic than like a WWE thing because you see like Dark and they go like, "We have 17 matches this week on Dark," and you're like, "Well, you know what? I think I—I I think there's a good chance I'm gonna get used on here." You know, it's, it's kind
1: yeah, of- <laughs> no, for for sure. Um, I mean, I I can tell you now that with WWE, um, I've worked as an extra for them. I want to say probably eight to ten times, where I go through the loop, right? So it's like a, it's usually a Raw SmackDown back to back, or sometimes it's been a Pay Per View Raw SmackDown, those kind of loops. And of those eight to ten appearances, the only time I've actually wrestled was that last one I did um, with AJ, where yeah. the, the Yellow County thing against Heavy Machinery. Every other time, I either was just not used, or I was. Um, a police officer, a security guard, a SWAT guy, a paramedic, um, a random guy standing in the hallway, a rosebud, you Mm -hmm. know, you can name them all, but, um, and and yeah, and sometimes you don't even get used at all and you just uh, sit in catering and twiddle your thumbs. But this was pretty cool because I, I, I was told I would be used at least once before even getting there. So mm-hmm. wow. that, that was a nice change to actually have some, you know, that kind of proactive. Yes. You know, we do want you here and yes, we will use you in some capacity.
0: I'm sure you got a chance to talk to, you know, we wrestled jungle boy before over here in San Jose. So yeah.
1: do you get a chance to catch up with
0: all those guys you already knew?
1: Yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, a lot of guys that I had seen on the indies out here. Um, I ran back into uh, Miro. I, him and I, and a few other guys uh, in APW. So like Marcus Mack and, uh, Jody Christofferson, Rick Luxury, all those guys. We used to do um, road trips down to Southern California and work for Rikishi's promotion where Miro trained. Mm, okay. so, uh, we'd done a, It was called Knox Pro, and uh, we worked a lot of the Knox Pro shows, and Miro was on there, so I ran into him. I ran into Jungle Boy, uh, Brian Cage, who I've wrestled a few times. Um, got, nice to see him again. I mean, there is plenty of those, but a lot of familiar faces. So it's always cool to see those guys. And how would you
0: uh, compare the vibes backstage at AEW versus backstage at WWE?
1: Um, you know, I, I, I'd like to say that it's a little more... How would I define it? WWE feels more like a movie production company. In that, they, and there's there's just a lot more people back there, and every it's like a highway of just like people going in all sorts of directions, uh, from wrestlers to writers to costume designers and this and that, um, and you're just sort of like a fly on the wall there. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that, but that's just it's just super busy back there. Mm-hmm. Um, AEW felt like. Uh, and it felt like an indie promotion just on a whole big stage level, if that makes sense,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: because you get a sense of, um, like camaraderie, like when you go into an indie locker room, there's, you know, guys just, you know, shooting the breeze with each other, hanging out. There's people that are talking about their, their matches, whatever. I got that sort of vibe there, but it did feel like on another level, like big league level. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. But it just felt like I guess a little more lax if that makes sense. It it, does, it it was less about like crazy business and production and and more about let's put out the best product and let's let's make sure we're a family and let's talk to each other and let's hang out. Um uh but yeah, I, I'd say that that was the biggest difference between the two.
0: Okay. We talked a little bit about um you know being able to use your your gimmick on the actual aw show and doing all that stuff uh last time i saw you you were the future david dutra
1: i know right? crazy it's
0: changed now you're battle king uh how did that come about how did you decide to craft this character to morph your your persona
1: so um when i first came back uh i decided actually at the cow palace show for apw the first one they did um i took my family there just to go watch as a fan, and. I got basically the the bug bite, right? So I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. I can't believe it's grown into something like this. Uh, I'm getting the itch. Um, originally, I stepped away from wrestling to focus on my family. I had another baby on the way. And now that they, the kids were a little older, I, I took my son to that show. Um, funny thing is, Cody was wrestling on that show at the Cow Palace. And he was wrestling uh, Joey Ryan in a cage. And he walked around the ring and he actually threw his T-shirt to my son and caught the shirt. And he was like, oh, you should wrestle again, daddy. You know, and he's like, he's like, you could wrestle Cody and this and that. And um, it was a super cool story. So like me getting the bug bite and then me sort of getting the the confirmation from my son, like, hey, I really want to see you wrestle again. I'm like, okay, now it's time. I I should probably train and, you know, see if I can get back into it. Right. And then I trained the remainder of 2017 um, to get into ring shape for that. And then I said, okay, well, let me just change up the name a little bit. Like it's double D forever. Let me just try uh, Dylan Drake, who I'm sure you know. He used to call me the Futura way back in the day. Is just like, oh, you're a young up and coming guy and it's a play on your last name. And, you know, I think it's, it's, it's funny, whatever. He calls me that all the time. I just decided, you know what, I could sort of play off that and change my name a little bit just to be different when I come back. And I did that, but then with that same year, just by the end of 2018, I sort of felt like I needed like something drastic as a change because the, the, what I kind of started to realize is that I, I'm getting older. Um, I'm not going to be the indie guy that's going to be doing 450 splashes and corkscrew planches all that stuff, I, I like and pride myself more on being more of a technical wrestler. Mm-hmm. Um, and the indies have evolved to such a, a level that it almost um, favors someone who can do a lot of the high spots and the high flying. And I wasn't going to be that guy. And my body was telling me, yeah, you're probably not going to be that guy. Anymore. <laughs> um, so at that point, I sort of felt like I needed like something that was more character driven and less like athletically driven to where if I end up as I get older, not being able to do certain things that it's okay, because what sells you is not so much the moves, but it's the character. Right. Um, so in, in fact, we're just past the two year mark. So in October of 2018, um, I was preparing for a UGWA show in San Jose actually, um, I went to – I uh, mean a buddy of mine before that show, we went to uh, like a festival in Campbell because the show was in San Jose and I was in Campbell for whatever reason. And I we came across all these uh, masks that a vendor at this festival were selling that were all like skull-based, like almost medieval looking. Yeah. And it, 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 I don't know why, but I looked at those things. And I'm like, I could see myself wearing something like that as some kind of entrance. Now, how can I have a character that – you know, would allow me to wear some kind of a mask. So I bought a few of them. And then after I wrestled the show and the rest of that week, I just kept thinking like, how can I use something with this kind of like uh, iconography? Um, and then the idea of the battle King was born, but the vision I had for it required a lot of stuff that I didn't have. And I knew it would take time. So I one is that I wanted to grow my hair out and my hair was like this short, spiked Mm. um so I knew that would take time so I started growing my hair in October of 2018 um and it did take two years But my hair does go down to like here now (laughs) when it's not tied back Um, but in in between all that I worked with a designer uh coming up with drafts for the character um different kind of entrance gear armor um I uh with t-shirt designs and then the gear was pretty, pretty pricey. So I, I couldn't just buy it all in one lump sum. So I started piecing together pieces. Like, so the first thing I did buy was if you looked at, if you watch dark was that shoulder piece. Mm-hmm. So I had that custom made. Um, the, the next stuff was through uh, main event gear, which was mainly like the trunks, the knee pads, the kick pads, uh, and then I have a bunch of custom masks, but um, it wasn't the appropriate time or place to use that on a dark match on AEW. But I have a lot of custom masks and crowns that go on for the entrances too. Um, so assuming the indies start back up soon, um, I will incorporate those in as well. But yeah, it's it's been like a, a project on the side. And then basically 2019 was just eating away time, just continuing to do the future stuff while I kept growing my hair out. And I started to plant seeds, uh, in 2019 as well. So every now and then I would, um, put something online. Um, I remember I put a video on over a year ago where I had my scepter that I, I finally got in the mail for part of the character and I just drug it on my, the concrete ground of my garage and filmed it. Like, it's like, I'm dragging this thing to battle kind of thing. And Mm. I posted it and no context, but I just kept putting little teasers out there. I, I started turning heel at various promotions. I changed my finishing move. I dubbed it heaven's blade, which is like, um, sort of a metaphor for a a guillotine. Okay. It's like an old medieval King would chop off the heads of people and it's an elbow drop to the back of the neck. So I started, you know, telling promotion, Hey, this is my new finish. Call it this. Um, I started claiming to be the king. Um, I used hashtags like "Hail to the King." I started putting little snippets of, and I was doing all this while still being called the future and stuff. But I, I knew that I was leading towards this um, for 2020. Um, the last thing, because I know I'm going really long on this question. Oh, totally fine. Um, so I finally I, we did a an angle on the last APW show. That's that was done um i lost in a singles match to adam i played that whole match heel um adam thornstow um match was over and then uh they do the light heavyweight or um yeah the light heavy apw uh, junior heavyweight title match and at the end of it um i attacked Starboy charlie um turn heel and basically set the set the the place for the the battle King to debut at the next show. So then we do uh, the graphics, the match for blueprints was the name of the show. And that was in March, 2020. And so I'm pumped at this point, right? I'm like, finally, like this thing is going to come to fruition. It's been a year and a half since I started it. I'm ready. I have all the gear set up and it was four day, I think four days or it was three or four days before the show is when like the NBA shut down the season oh, geez. and then like a domino effect. Like yeah. this, Mar- uh, Marcus Mack heard from daily city and daily city shut everything down. So that was canceled. And then you would just, all my bookings because I had maybe like eight or nine more bookings for the rest of the next, maybe six weeks. And it was like canceled, 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 canceled. I'm, like, well shit, I just spent a lot of money and time on this character. I don't even know if I'm gonna <laughs> be able to debut it. And yeah, so I mean most people won't know this unless they listen to this podcast, but the literal debut of the Battle King was on AEW Dark. I had never done the character until then.
0: Wow. Yeah. Damn, that's crazy. Yeah, it's like what a what a what a massive like wind out of your sails to like, yes, finally going to happen, baby. Here we go.
1: Yeah. You, you have no idea like how pissed I was. I was so mad. And, and <laughs> I, I, I don't want to like tell you how much I spent cause I'm sort of embarrassed, but like <laughs> this, this gear from that, cause that scepter is a, uh, I'll show you. Look, look this thing is like actually a real scepter. It's not a prop. So, um, it's actually metal. So it, it's uh, it's something I have to check on a plane, right? Yeah, here. I was
0: gonna say that's not but, going into your carry-on. Yeah, no,
1: it's um, yeah. It, it, so like everything that I did for this character, I wanted it to be like A class, like top-notch kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I put a lot of money and time and effort into everything, and then yeah, when they canceled the bookings, and then I'm like, oh, you know what, this COVID thing, not knowing what you know what we do now. You know, in March we're like, oh, it'll be back to normal by June. Yeah. And then on June, you're like, shit, maybe September, October. And then yeah. by August, we're like, fuck, 2021, like maybe.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, I, had a, I had a bunch of podcasts backed up because I normally listen when I'm at work and I got furloughed. So I was like, "I there's like a back catalog of podcasts in my phone that are just yeah. like, you know. so that." But it, I've been like slowly going through them, but some of them are like months old. So like I've been going through and I'm listening and hearing people talk about it in like April and May. They only knew. They're like it, they're sitting there like I mean it can't last past June right 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 yeah right. like everyone's yeah. like so sure everyone's like oh yeah it's it'll be everything will be fine no but that's why that's why I love wrestling wrestling's crazy so like Battle King Giant Scepter crazy leather custom stuff and then like you know the so my two uh, times I saw you wrestle. Recently, was that. And just a couple weeks before that, when I was pulling footage for Matt Carlos's episode uh, as the Polyester Express. So, night and day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh man, isn't wrestling fun? Like, these are the same, this is the same dude. Isn't that so God. weird?
1: Yeah. Polyester Express. Oh, those are good times. Um, wow. Uh, so, I will, I will say one thing about that. The first three months of that character it was cool to be a heel because we really could not dance. So, like, <laughs> so when you can't dance for shit and you just try, it looks terrible and it makes total sense for people to boo you. Right. And we just yeah. like, yeah, we know we suck. And yeah, please boo us. We're heels, but we got the shit beat out of us for months because we just got booked against John Anderson, uh, who, for those of you who don't know, is like this giant strongman guy. So, um, yeah, we just would just get whooped month after month because we do the same match at every show as he toured. And yeah. then it sort of flipped, right? So we finally got through paying our dues against John Anderson and we got put in legitimate tag team matches, but then we became baby faces. Mm. Which for two guys who can't dance that had to be like disco dancing guys, it it was really awkward because like they'd watch us dance and they're like, like we're supposed to be cheering that? get in the ring and when Alex
0: Wright was supposed to be a face in the beginning and he was out there doing that dance and you're like am I supposed to cheer for this like what's going
1: on yeah once we got in the ring Matt and I were good enough to like we can do like you know double missile drop kicks wrestle basically like the rockers or whatever and people Mm -hmm. dug it but it's like to the ring and we're trying to do like oh let me just do this thing or let me just (laughs) try and I don't know I always felt out of place doing it but um that that's one of those situations where an opportunity opens and that's a promotion that draws consistently. So you get big crowds, like you can't pass it up. So you'll pretty much take, and we were super green. So yeah, we pretty much take whatever we get.
0: Yeah. I thought, uh, yeah. When I watched that clip that yeah. Anderson's a uh, chops. Holy shit. Don't be so bad. I mean like, you know, I, am no stranger to hard chops. I've seen a Shane Cody match once or twice, but, yeah. <laughs> but, but John Anderson was, uh, he was throwing some heaters, man.
1: Yeah, man, there was a battle royal that we were on uh, in the Bakersfield Dome that Gabe ran. And when Anderson came out, I purposely, like, because I was already on the ground, I rolled onto the apron and I double-clung the bottom rope and I just sat there. (laughs) I sat there because they had a spot where he, like, destroys everyone and then everyone who's left all team up to dump him over. And I just... Sat there or on the rope the entire spot time until he got dumped out. I was tired of getting. It was like 110 in Bakersfield, so the dome was like a sweat box.
0: Oh geez. Oof. Oh man, yeah. How how did you find like you know working like lucha crowd versus working working a regular wrestling crowd?
1: Um, it's totally different. Um, you really have to work a character there. Um, you. They, they really dig comedy too. So I think that's part of the reason why like Gabe wanted us to do the disco thing. Um, they wanted to be more entertained with that. And then they, they do appreciate obviously the high flying. So the, the more, f- um, you know, flips and jumps and dives that you can do, obviously the, the, that's what they appreciate. Um, And they, they really don't like, at least from my experience, they, they're not a, like the technical wrestling kind of stuff. You don't, and I had the experience of wrestling in Mexico once um, via revolution. And at that point they had me uh, under a hood as La Pantera. Um, I was not a Lucha guy, so I didn't, tr- I didn't train to be Lucha. I, I mean, when I was younger, I thought it would be the coolest thing to do Lucha. And then when I got trained by APW, I started to appreciate like the American and Japanese styles far more Um, so when I'm working in Mexico, I should have, in hindsight, uh, learned a little more lucha and tried to do that, but I wrestled a very Americanized style, like, you know, lock up, headlock, tackle, drop down, whatever. And it did not fly. (laughs) Here's uh, just to give you context. I was wrestling a guy named Steve Payne and Steve Payne is a Puerto Rican and Puerto Ricans and Mexicans do not get along, you know? So it's like he was going out there to be the heel and be the the Puerto Rican that clowns on Mexicans. I was this luchador who apparently I was supposed to be from Japan, right? So La Pantera was originally supposed to be billed to be like an Ultimo dragon from Japan. So I'm a neutral guy in in this sense, right? I go out there and it's almost as if immediately these fans are like, bullshit this guy's not japanese (laughs) it's totally a white guy under a hood and he wrestles like an american so i got booed out of the building and it was the bad it was the bad heat right it was the x-pac heat it was the bad like get the fuck out of our ring heat
0: oh shit
1: um so i still appreciate the experience because it it sort of taught me like you really need to know your audience um uh, and but it was like one of the largest crowd. I mean, it's like six thousand people. At the oh wow! How long was the match? Oh, the match was like like six seven minutes.
0: That's that's uh, a long six seven minutes when you get getting booed though.
1: It's a long six seven minutes when they don't buy your, what you're selling. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was still a great experience all in all. Um But it, yeah, that I mean, when you talk about working a lucha crowd versus an American crowd, and and. I will let me segue just a little bit here because it's relevant. I feel like the indies uh, and wrestling fans in general, I guess, have evolved over the last 10 years. Um, I will say that the kind of matches that I would see around Northern California indies in 2010 um, that would get over don't typically get over now. I think that wrestling has evolved in a way that it, like, Things like combination attacks are really big now and they weren't so much then. Mm. Um, you, you see a lot of moves where it's like strike, strike, duck, kick, you know, suplex, and you hold on to it, lift them up, twist them, pop, you know, it's like it's just a lot of fluid combination kind of stuff. Um, so even in American wrestling, y- you see like the styles changing and fans will react differently too. I will say that now more than ever in the business uh, there are so many different types of fans, even just within one area. So in, in, I mean, you go to a hood slam show and those fans are completely different than if you go to APW versus going to PWG versus going to uh, the UGWA in San Jose there's just you, you just have to know your audience some fans love the violence some fans love technical wrestling uh, if you go to any new japan show or the stuff they do in LA like you know what you get when you go to a new japan show so those they're going to really appreciate um, the technical the selling the the heart the contact the strikes
0: yeah yeah i always feel like you know there's like there's like a being a wrestling fan i feel like there's like a, a certain evolution you have to have because you start off you know everyone's a mark when you start you're watching you're watching hulk hogan on tv or stone cold on tv you're like this is the greatest thing ever Mm -hmm. i don't know what's going on but i love it that kind of thing and then when you get smartened up to a lot of stuff you kind of sometimes go overboard like i remember being for the longest time being like well this guy can't do shit because he's not doing you know He's not doing the craziest, most innovative move I've ever seen. He's just doing a regular suplex. Bullshit. That's who cares. Sucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? And that's and that's a horrible way to be too. Because at that point, you're really like, you're all like sizzle and no like substance. You're kind of just like, I just want the most specifically, exactly what I want, but nothing yeah. else. And then eventually you start to like, realize that everything is like a mix of everything. It's You have to kind of mix it all in. So I love the fact that like, fans who are smart marks quote unquote will still cheer at events nowadays where it seems like for a long time they would just be like and you're like yeah that's not helping no one no performer in the ring is stoked about a bunch of dudes quietly judging you like you're on american idol on how crisp you did a a frankensteiner you know what i mean (laughs) like going okay all right i get what he did there i get what he did there like that's bullshit no nobody likes that
1: yeah. Like in the early 2000s, it would have been like, uh, you know, your that driver wasn't high enough on the shoulders of the neck area. It didn't look devastating. So eh, you're OK. Yeah. Now it's like, uh, I, I didn't see any dive outs. And uh, you punch that guy, but the leg wasn't slapped. So the, the connection, you know, like it, it, it's just funny how like the, 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 those kind of things happen. Because I, I remember when I first got in, it was like strong style kind of stuff. Everything was about strong style. So it's like neck drop this, inverted, driver that, you know, forearms, and you have to like nail them like right yeah. here too, right? And now that shit's gone out the window. Like you will get blackballed if you're wrestling like that in a lot of places now. It's, it's, now it's more like I, I just saw a meme on Facebook like a week ago. Where it said, "Have you ever seen those memes where it's like four squares and there's four things in there, and it says one of these has to go?" Oh yeah, yeah. And you have to pick which one of the most. And this one was like, suicide dive, like the little indie kick on the on the apron to the inside, um, a leg slap and it was it was one other that I was just dying, because I'm like, yeah, those are the things that I, I feel like I see all the time now.
0: Probably a, probably a a V-trigger or running knee is probably the other one.
1: Yeah, something like that, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was always like, yeah, those things are, like, it doesn't even matter who the wrestler is, it's become so commonplace in every match. But I remember back earlier, it used to be, like, big forearm to the neck, uh, brain buster, Japanese suplex, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, and then I was always like, I always love like the innovative dude. So I like, I gravitated immediately when I was watching E.P.H.B. to Vinnie Massaro Cause I was like, he's doing some crazy shit. I'd never seen anyone do. It was like yeah. the first time I, th- I saw someone do like a vertebraker was him. I was like, I was like, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. What the world. Uh, but yeah, now it's like, now if you hit like a snap suplex and you did it just right, I'm like, ooh, okay. Like,
1: yeah. it, you know what I mean? So I guess it all
0: morphs over I time. I think
1: fans yeah. have become like polished, you know? Yeah. Now they just, I think they're starting to appreciate the art more and one little aspect of it. So
0: Yeah. And to me, I'd much rather go to a show where I see a lot of different styles than all of one thing. Cause like, I appreciate a great 20 minute technical match. Like I love it. I think that's like delicious, but if I gotta go, if I gotta watch it for three hours straight, like dude, you know, give me a breather here. Give
1: me a variety.
0: Yeah. Uh, all right, brother. Uh, it's about that time. The booker has run out. It's time to take it home. I got a list of questions here. Feel free to take as much time as you want on any of them. Uh, first one, uh, any favorite road stories?
1: Um, Favorite road stories. So there, I, I know that uh, Matt Carlos brought up Handlebar Randalls. Yes. Um I actually have some clips from that. So if you want them. I can oh, absolutely. Them. Uh, because at that time I was like all about, I'm going to record it. Cause I had a little like mini DV or hard drive handy cam. I'm like, I'm going to record as much of this stuff as I can because I know that 10, 20, 30 years from now, like I'm going to really appreciate it. And a lot of the boys are, and now like I would get shit for it. Like, why are you recording backstage in the locker room? Like, what the fuck are you doing kind of thing? But I'd be like, trust me, you're going to really appreciate it. I'm taking this stuff now. Um, so that road trip, I, I did film for that where they, uh, the long story short is Matt and I had decided to go to a different uh, fast food joint at the stop we were in. So we went to a Carl's Jr. And the other guys went there and they thought it'd be funny. So they just drove off and left us there. But I had my camera rolling, so... Matt and I were just like filming and like, oh, I wonder if they'll ever come back for us and this and that, but um, a similar road trip. Cause both of those road trips were going down to Los Angeles to work for Rikishi's promotion. Um, there was another promotion or another, sorry, another road trip where we relied on Jody Christofferson to get a hotel or motel room that we could all share. So we did this taping and, um, and we needed, it was like, a, I think it was a two-shot taping. So I think we were doing um, Knox Pro, and then I think we were going to Billy Blade's show, uh, Vendetta Pro Wrestling. So we needed a place to stay, and we thought Jody had secured a room, and he, did. he never did. So he's like, oh, we just walk up and get one. It's not a big deal. And we're like, idiot, you're supposed to reserve these things. What if there are no rooms? So we go into this hotel room or we go to this hotel lobby. There's no rooms. Then we start making phone calls and like, yeah, no vacancy, no vacancy, no matter where we go. And then we come across this motel that, you know, I can't describe it. really. And I have I do have footage somewhere, so maybe I could find the footage. But we come across this motel. And it's straight out of like a horror film, like the, the no vacancy line lights. That's it's like flickering. And some of the letters are, are not lit. And you're like, Oh man, this looks bad. You just look like, like the railings on the upstairs awning for the upstairs half of the motel. Like they're bent and broken. And we go in and it's like, this dude's like eating popcorn falling on his shirt. And he just sort of gets up. And he's like, you need a room and the, the rooms don't, I mean, it's, it's 2013, 2012. So you think most people have key cards now and he just gets like a, a key ring and he's all, here's your key. We go in we're, and at this point I'm rolling, right? And we go into this room and it's like five of us. It's like Sparky Ballard, um, myself, Jody, I think Matt Carlos, Dylan Drake, Rick Luxury. Like there's a bunch of us. When we go into this room and... First thing you notice is that there's a TV that is mounted from the ceiling and it's like dangling like <laughs> this. And it's, it's, a, it's a CRT. It's not a flat screen. So it's oh, a yeah. full blocky CRT. It's hanging from the ceiling by one pole and it's swaying back and forth from the wind as we open the door. We're like, what the fuck? I've never seen something <laughs> mount like this. And then we walk around and the bed sheets were used. So we're like, oh, this is so gross. Like, I don't know if we should like – Going, I don't know. We walk around and then there's another bed. And the weirdest thing about this bed was that it had a full length, six foot mirror, the level of the bed horizontally. So if you were laying flat on the bed and you looked over, you could see the entire length of yourself. So it was almost like it was some kind of like perverted mirror, like you would be in bed with someone and be fucking. And you just look at the mirror (laughs) And it's like, oh, this you could watch yourself. And it was because it's weird. The mirror was only about, I don't know, 18 inches tall, yeah. but it was the whole length of the bed and mounted right next to the bed. So we thought that like, was. Yeah, that's weird. weird. Um, and like the sheets were untucked. So we lifted the mattress up, and there was actual human feces underneath the bed. Like on the and it's we sort of like, oh my god, we were like flipping the fuck out. We just die and laughing, right? Cause we like, right, this is something that is so bad that it's almost like we were on some kind of candid camera show. I'm like, yeah. How can we make these guys flip out? But it was like, it was the most disgusting place you've ever been to. You walked into the bathroom. Um, there was no hot water. The The shower door was off its hinges. So you had to sort of like lift the door off to get into the shower. But of course there's no hot water. So no one wanted to take a shower. Ultimately, Half the people decided that the carpet was cleaner than the beds. So they slept on the carpet. Uh, Dylan, Drake, and I were like, fuck this. We will sleep out in the minivan. So we just parked it. We, we got in the minivan, reclined as far back as you can, uh, and we slept in the minivan that night. And it was also, like, middle of winter. So, you know, at night it was probably, like, forty. 443 42 degrees outside on wow. the car all night right so we were just like bundled up in there but um if i could find the video footage that will make the story that much better okay yeah,
0: yeah. i remember uh i went with a buddy of mine we went to philadelphia my friend uh you, pr- you probably met him or know him uh luke hawks he ran he runs yeah. wildcat in louisiana
1: yeah, in louisiana
0: yeah, so but he ran a show at the ECW Arena in Philadelphia. So me and my buddy were like, "Oh, let's go! Why not? It'll be fun." You know, I always wanted to check out the ECW Arena. Might as well do it for a show of somebody I know is running because you know what I mean. Might as well support him. So we go there, and the hotel we get is in like Lester, Pennsylvania, which is like right by the airport. It's just like you know, it's like air like the shitty, shitty motel. But we walked in and. Wasn't anywhere near as bad as the place you're describing, but we noticed the both the bathroom and the front door had very specific like dents. And it's the exact place where if you wanted to kick in a door, <laughs> <laughs> that's what you would use. Right. So both the front door and the bathroom door, just like these dents, right where someone's foot just went through right through. I was like, yeah. that's great. That's great. Oh boy. <laughs> it's always a fun place. Um I consider wrestling to be a very creative thing besides being very physical. You know, you have to put together character, put together matches, do all that stuff. What creatively do you like doing besides professional wrestling?
1: Um, I mean, I don't do it now, but I would say like for the, maybe the past 10 or 15 years um, from basically when I got out of high school until maybe four or five years ago, um, I was really big in the video editing. So I would take a lot of my old footage, whether it be my old backyard wrestling footage um, or even stuff that I did in my early part of my pro career. And I loved making um, entrance videos um, for WFW guys. I made entrance videos for them too and all that kind of stuff. Um, I would put together promo packs. I did a lot of editing for APW in the first, I don't know, three or four years that we did gym wars there a lot of the gym wars entrance videos um, or introductory videos were all done by me Um, vignettes, that kind of stuff. So, I mean, that's something creatively that I enjoy doing. Um, And then I would actually take that outside like with my friends and I, we make little short films or or we just goof off. And then uh, I remember when Jackass was like the big thing on MTV. Mm. We, in our Creative minds decided, oh, we'll call it ass jacks just to split the words around. But we'll just do our own clever bit stunts. Yeah, super clever, right? <laughs> um, and we'd film ourselves doing that kind of stuff, uh, like crazy stunts. And I would splice it all together on my computer and uh, put that together. But um, I mean, I think that would be like just one thing. If you say well, what we do, do creatively, I used to do a lot of drawing and um, like booking. Too like a lot of writing when I was, um, probably in high school more than anything, like I would rebook WWE stuff. Mm. Um, I would do my own fantasy booking, like with my backyard promotion, um, that I was running. Uh, I don't, I mean, other than that, um, I don't know if it's creative. I, I love the game. So like any games that have your ability to create a like super Mario maker, oh, Okay. Yeah. Guy, so, um, i I'd make those level levels, but that's about it at this point.
0: What's your favorite move or hold that you don't use?
1: Oh, um, favorite move, hold that I don't use. Um, I, I do, you mentioned it earlier. Um, and I used to do this way back in the day when I was doing backyard wrestling, but um, I love the vertebrae. Breaker. Um, I saw that move for the first time on a it was like a, a mixed tape I had on VHS from a Japanese promotion that did a lot of deathmatch stuff and it was this deathmatch with I forgot the, the two girls. One of them looked like a bull nakano, it was like it was a really heavy set like badass Japanese wrestler and this little petite little Japanese girl and it was like a barbed wire deathmatch and I'm watching this thing and the little one gets the big one into a vertebraker breaker. And I, one that was just lifting up a woman that was like twice the size was incredible. But then that move, and this was like a high neck breaker. Yeah, So like, it was basically head and, you know, heels over. Uh, and I, and I just like, I remember jumping out of my chair. I was just like, Oh my God. Um, so, I mean, that might be one of them. Cause every time I see that move, I think it's one of the coolest, most sickest looking moves ever. But, um, it's super dangerous and I pride myself on doing like finishing moves that I can do on anybody. Mm. So I try not to, I try not to have moves in my repertoire that if I'm wrestling, someone who's 300 pounds and I have trouble doing it, or if I'm tired and blown up and I can't do it. That's why I like my finishing move for the longest time was the DDT. Um, big Jake Roberts fan, uh, Arn Anderson fan. Uh, and now it's an elbow drop. So even if I'm wrestling a big guy, I can still do it, but Probably the Vertebraker. Okay. Uh,
0: any crazy fan interactions you've had over the years?
1: Um, so most recently, not that this was a crazy interaction, but it was an eye-opening one. I got a letter from a guy in Germany, and it came into my mailbox. So I, I opened my mail, and it said, you know, Mr. Dutra, I'm a big fan of yours. Can you please uh, take this, take the attached photo, autograph it, and mail it back to this address, you know, and um, I think he he put it like, set it up the way he's like, just, you know, return to sender kind of thing and I'll pay for the postage, something like that. And that's all fine. Like he basically printed a photo that he found of me on Google and asked me to sign it. But what was alarming to me is how he got my home address. Yeah uh so i i i started googling my name and found out how easy it was to find someone's address and immediately after that i i basically found a service that like wipes your public data from like all these sources and so that was one um and then i mean i guess there's a guy there was a guy i wrestled in arizona a year ago or about a year no about a year and a half ago and this one guy, like, I don't know if he was just like off in a way, but he came up to me. He's like, I'm like such a big fan of yours. And he's like, this is my first time seeing you. And I'm such a big fan. I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah. Do you want a photo? We took a photo. And then um, there's the venue was across the parking lot from like a, like a IHOP or something. So I go after the venue to an IHOP to go have dinner and he follows me there. And then he sits at a table, like three tables down. Mm. And then I'm about to like get my plate of food and then he comes up and he sits down in the, <laughs> the booth across from me. And wants to have a conversation and I'm like, Hey, you know, I really appreciate it, but can I just eat my meal for a minute? And he's like, Oh yeah, sure, sure. And then like he watches until I finish my meal. And then he like, right when I'm about to like, like get up, he goes, Oh, can we, you know, talk and this and that. So, um, I don't know, maybe that gave me a sense of what, like, maybe the superstars in wrestling all sort of get sometimes. I I, I feel like I remember I went to WrestleMania in Chicago, and obviously I'm just a fan at that point. Um, and I saw uh, Sean Devari. He was eating with, I think, probably his girlfriend or whatever it was. Um, and I sort of did the same thing, meaning mm-hmm. that I, I, was, I was with my girlfriend, Uh, but I was like watching him going, okay, I I don't want to interrupt him, but I do want to say something and maybe get a photo with him. So I'm going to wait until like, he's completely off, like he's finished his food and whatnot. Um, and I think he was probably intentionally keeping his head, um, or his ear to the phone. And he just kept doing this the whole time. So no one would come up to him, but I remember walking up and then like, he just looked at me and he turned back and he went back to his phone and like, all right, whatever, But so, like, when when the guy did it to me, like, a year and a half ago, and so like, okay, I sort of get it now. Yeah. You know, give give people their space a little bit.
0: Yeah, I think that was the good thing about helping out at Big Time Wrestling when I was, like, 17, 18, 19. Because, you know, Kirk always brought in, like, big names. You know what I mean? Like, I saw, like, Bret Hart and, like, a bunch of people there. So it's like, I had to learn early not to, not to fucking bug people. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. and I carried that on with like, so when I went, I went to go see, uh, an AW, uh, I went to see the pay-per-view revolution, actually the last freaking live pay-per-view they had with the actual fans. And on my way home, we, I flew back through Atlanta. And of course, a lot of those guys go through there. Cause it was on, it was on a Delta flight. And on my plane was like Kazarian Luchasaurus, like a, like a bunch of dudes. And I'm fucking like an idiot. I'm wearing like the aw jacket that i bought at the event uh, So now i look like a super mark i'm like yeah yeah, yeah. and i can tell like as i'm at the waiting area it's waiting to board the plane they're already kind of like out of the corner of their eye like fuck
1: yeah right So like
0: the second like we make eye contact i just i just immediately was just like and i just kept walking and they were like okay like the ease of like fuck i don't want to like bother me yeah i don't i don't want to perform yeah. right now you know what i mean like they just they're like it's like a 6am flight so they're like i don't want to talk to no one like <laughs> you know what i mean and i'm like dude i'm just not going to i'm not going to bug you that's it i'm not yeah. going to bug you but
1: yeah i, I will say the um, one more that was actually a pretty awesome one so i there was a show in 2010 it was at bf uh, bfd so they built a ring like just in the middle of the grass, like in between different concert stages. And all the people that are there are definitely not wrestling fans, but they're most definitely drunk. And sometimes those are the best fans to wrestle in front of. Um, so at that point I'm like as white meat, like cookie cutter, looking baby face, young looking kid. Um, I always like looked, I think younger than I was. So even if i at that point was 26 years old, I think I looked like I was like 19 or 20. Um, and there was like a flock of girls that obviously knew nothing about wrestling, but they saw this like, like young, good looking white guy, like clean cut, like shaven in speedos. And they all like came over to me and we took this photo. Um, and like one of them is like grabbing like around my waist. One of them is like licking my leg. Like, like they were just all over me. It was awesome. So. Uh I'll have to share that photo with you. It's a good one. So that, that's an awesome fan interaction.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh when you're working with somebody in a match, besides hurting you, what's the worst thing they could do in the in the ring with you?
1: Um I just think in any in any way like uh I don't know, besides hurting you is like I don't know, just like jeopardizing trust, if that if that makes sense. Often that's like in some form of like doing something that you didn't expect, which, you know, leads to hurting someone. But um, I would say if it's something to where, like we had arranged at some point to do something and they intentionally go, you know, into business for themselves, um, that would be something that would probably be the worst thing you can do to someone. It doesn't always mean that you get hurt doing it, but it does mean that like, Hey, you know, we go into this with an understanding that business is business and we have to uh, trust each other to ensure safety and when you do something that was not discussed or arranged um, that's sort of a break of that trust and then at that point it's very hard to do business in the future ever again it's like yeah look that that's a, a serious deal i don't know how i can trust my life uh my well-being in the ring if we can't agree and you go on you go rogue essentially
0: yeah uh when's the last time you were legitimately surprised by another worker in
1: the ring in what regard? So uh, I always like to say it's either
0: like you didn't really know too much about him and you were just like, wow, like working with this guy is just so fluid, so crisp. Like I could not okay. believe it.
1: I already got I got an answer for you. Um, it's Chris Bay. So Chris was primarily just a Las Vegas indie guy uh, working for Future Stars of Wrestling. And occasionally he'd, he'd come out and do um, – Uh, Southern California stuff and he worked his way up to uh, Fresno for best of the West, which is where I was working. Um, He ended up being the champion there um, and had a good string of matches. I think he worked Shane Strickland a lot in Mm. his last days in that area before he went off to NXT. Um, But I hadn't personally, I hadn't heard much about him. I knew that he is starting to develop a name, but he'd only been in the business for, no more than two years. He was super young. And I mean, I guess you could say relatively green, right? But I knew that he was like making a name for himself. So he had to be talented. So then, my gosh, I'm going to be my second or third show with Best of the West. Um, I got put up against Chris. And it was then that I, I asked him, like, so when did you start? And this, that. And he's like, oh, just about two years ago. And I'm like, oh, really? Okay. So I'm sort of expecting to call the match in the ring and we get in there and immediately he starts calling everything we discussed at the right times you know doesn't make it obvious he's very fluid he he just was so natural and then at the point we just sort of realized we clicked without having to call things Mm. Um, and he would do extra things that like typically only uh tenured like seasoned vets would do like he would reiterate things and then say you ready Like, like I I called it, but are you ready? Did you get it? Like a lot of times, like when you're working with a young guy, you do that to the young guy, but he was doing that as habit, no matter who he works. Mm. And that's like a sign of someone who really understands how to work, understands the business and just is super developed fast. Um, So I got back there and I I remember telling him this. Uh, I said, you're going to be signed somewhere within a year. Like you are incredibly good for where you are in this business. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. And I, and I, it was about a year later that he got the impact uh, deal. So I I'm super proud of him. And he would, he's like, the moment you clarified that question, I knew instantly who it was. So it definitely Chris. Yeah. I remember I saw him. uh,
0: I went to go see Luke Russell at ring warriors in Vegas. uh, Let's say had for like a few shows, but I saw Bay Russell there and I got a chance to meet him there. Super nice guy uh but it, it tripped me out like i looked him up afterward because i I, th- I saw the same thing when he was in the ring i was like damn this guy's really this guy's got something yeah. and then i thought I he was only like a couple of years in i was like what <laughs> yeah, I was like yeah. how is that possible
1: because i've seen so many guys that are similar in, in like size and style like they're high flyers and stuff and they've been in the business for seven eight years um but they're just nowhere near as fluid or developed and can't call stuff on the fly like that so Uh, has a booker
0: tried to stiff you on money? And if so, what are some fun excuses they gave in doing so?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think every wrestler can say at least at one point that they've been, uh, stiffed on money. The, the typical one is, Hey, um, you know, the draw wasn't really what we expected. Can I get you on the next show? Like right now, the only way I could pay you is if, uh, You know, I ran to the bank and pulled whatever I have left out of savings. Um, That particular instant, I was one year in the business. So I was like, oh, yeah, you know, no problem. Um, Just get me the next time, which never happened, right?
0: Yeah.
1: But um, at that very same show, there was another wrestler who obviously had been in the game for longer, was like, yeah, you know what? Go to the bank. I'll wait right here. <laughs> go pull it out of savings. I'll, I'll stay here. It's cool. All right. I can, I can go to the bank with you. What do you prefer? Yeah. I'll, I'll go to the bank. I'll go to the bank. Um, so, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's happened. Um, I will say it's very infrequent. Like I'd say maybe twice ever. I'm trying to think of the other time. Um, sometimes like, and this is, I think oftentimes when you're younger and you sort of don't negotiate ahead of time what your 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 fee is it's like you're just taking whatever is expected there was a time where um half the roster pulled out of the show and i won't get into details but basically there were a group of people that i was traveling with that were there and there was another group from another like school that were supposed to meet there so we had a larger roster they pulled out of the show same day like hours before So you would think being that we had to work harder with a smaller roster and he just freed up all that, all that payout money. Right. Yeah. He would redistribute, but he ended up pocketing all that and stretched out the show with the talent he had and paid us the same. So um, you can go back and forth on whether or not that is stiffing someone because technically it's not. But I think the the best thing to do is try to split that profit. You know, you could pocket some of it, right? Because you're not, but if you're making the guys work harder. Yeah. Effectively, you know, cut them a little more, right? Especially since that one, I think we were traveling like four or five hours away from our home. So it's like what we were getting paid was basically covering our gas and food.
0: Yeah. Yeah. At least could do something just to, you know, hey, hey, I appreciate, you know, that you guys had to put in a little extra work today. You know what I mean? So here have have some bonus oh, yeah. that's, not, that's not that hard but yeah um, what's a mistake that you made in wrestling that now that you look back on it you it turns out it was the right thing to do
1: I, It would probably be something along the lines of not speaking up about something that I was I felt like I was wronged on um, and I was advised no, you know I just don't say anything I'm like no it needs to be said but I was I think, in hindsight being that i was young into the business that even though any outsider would feel like yeah i was in the right it would be looked upon differently from the inside and i i I mean i wish i can give you like um, an answer with greater substance but Mm. that's the first thing that would come to mind is like feeling like i should have spoken up about something and i didn't and then uh you know, hindsight being like, you know what? it's probably good I kept my mouth shut because I could have got myself, like, black ball or something like that, you know? Yeah. Uh, when
0: you're working a lot of different promotions, you see a lot of different gimmick. What's the worst gimmick you've seen?
1: Oh, um, oh, there was a, so, at Cauliflower Alley in the early 2000s, or no, I'm sorry, the early 2010, I think it was 2009 or 2010, actually. Uh, Matt Carlos and I as polyester express got put into like a six person tag. And there was a guy who was, and I forgot his name. And if he had, I don't think he'd ever hear this comes, but he, he basically was a bumblebee. So like, and it was not like, Oh, it's, uh, you know, like the killer bees and he's just wearing like a yellow and black, colored no he was like an actual bumblebee
0: like he looked like the Bee man from the simpsons
1: yes he looked like the Bee man <laughs> and like his gimmick was to sting you so like it would be like the flying hip attack with the stinger so it would have been like a show i mean maybe this would have been good for uh I don't know. It would have been a good for like anyone. like Chikara DDT Chicara. Like, that would have been a yeah. Like yeah. this would have been a great Chikara gimmick, right? Maybe you can face off against the Colony or something. But <laughs> um, it was for context. When anyone who's ever been to Cauliflower Alley, um, it's a lot of old school wrestling legends. At least back then, there's they still had people go. And I remember there was a photo of Matt and I walking down the ring doing our disco dancing <laughs> and in the background is JJ Dillon in the crowd and cuz lots of legends would go and watch these shows and he had this face like this. <laughs> it's like the it's like the best caption ever cuz you could just tell he's like this is the dumbest like bullshit mockery of professional wrestling I've ever seen cuz the match was uh, Matt Carlos myself and Jekyll's the jester Okay. So a jester and two disco guys, and it was against uh, Captain Calico, who was a, like a luchador pirate, the Bumblebee, and um, um, gorgeous uh, guy from Canada. I'm trying to think of his name, he did like sort of a gorgeous George kind of gimmick. Uh, 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 Michelle Starr That was his name. Okay. So yeah, so. And it, Michelle Starr's finishing move was basically an inverted camel clutch. So instead of sitting on the guy's back, mm-hmm. grabbing their chin, you flipped the guy over. So he was laying on his back and his face was facing your crotch. And he'd grab behind your head and just pull you into his crotch over and over. So it was like, you tap so, out out of being disgusted by being like like a sim like a blowjob kind of thing. So, so like a
0: seat almost like a seated bronco buster, like
1: Exactly, but you pull the guy's head up into your crotch. Cause that was his gimmick, right? It was like this like erotic, homosexual, yeah. right? Um, so you have JJ Dillon there and he's watching these disco guys, and there's Jester versus the 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 pirate, the bumblebee who's trying to sting him. And this guy is doing a blowjob finisher, and he's this so just like, and it, just like this is like a,
0: a dartboard of different like
1: it's gonna be a disco and a right be a pirate, and it's like and that that match could have worked on like a chikar or maybe even like a hood slam kind of thing, right? Yeah, but it definitely wouldn't work for um, for cauliflower alley, and that that bumblebee character was just bad to me. It was just like really bad. bad, bad. <laughs>
0: Um, when you're working indie shows, you're working with a lot of guys who are quote-unquote names, guys that are in WWE, WCW, ECW or just really big indies like you know, Ring of Honor, PWG and that kind of stuff Um, were there any of those guys that you worked at with a show or just who were on the same show as you that thought they were bigger than the show acted like they were bigger than the show just really rubbed you the wrong way and you don't have to say any names if you don't want to bury anyone but just like any kind of situations like that
1: Um, I mean, I think, yeah there are guys and I definitely won't name them Um, but there are guys that, um, and this is before, like, I felt like they made it. Like there's a guy I know that was in NXT for a while, um, which I guess would be like the pinnacle of where he was at. But even before he was there, I think he felt like he was a big name on the indies. And it's like, when you're just an indie established indie guy and you put your stuff in a corner like away from everybody else, you're either a antisocial, or B, you're just you're big-headed, or both maybe. But um, I always felt I like I appreciated people that were bigger than most of the guys in our locker room, whether they be the established on the Indies or WWE or you know some kind of big stage that would actually go and mingle. Um, so I mean, there are always going to be guys who I think feel like they're too big for this place and they're just collecting a paycheck. But what I would rather focus on are the guys who know that they are bigger and they use that to help everybody else. Um, MVP is excellent. Uh, So him, um, Matt Hardy, um, he had worked APW quite a few times and MVP did as well. And I got a chance to wrestle MVP. um, This was like a year ago at best of the West, both of those guys, I mean, those guys have been on WrestleMania, right? So they've been as high as you can really go. Um, They go into locker rooms and they talk to anybody. If you have a question, they welcome it. They will sit there. If you ask them, like, can you watch my match and give me some pointers? A lot of guys like, oh, you know, I'm sorry. Yeah, sure. I'll watch a kid and they don't watch it Um, because I've not been part of it, but I've seen someone tell another guy, yeah, I'll watch your match. And the guy goes out there and then the guy goes back to talking to whoever he was talking to kid comes back. What'd you think? Oh, uh, you know, overall I thought it was pretty good. I don't got any feedback for you, you know, and the kid thinks, Oh, awesome. And didn't watch the match at all guys. Like I, I always put over Matt Hardy and MVP. Um, they're the first two that come to mind. There's been a lot of Chris masters. He was really great. Um, he always helps out in that sense. Um so you think of anyone else at the top of my head, but um I'd put those three there right there for now.
0: Well I was just I was talking the other day uh to someone about uh when when we were at the PWI tryout and you know Crash Holly was there. And yeah. like he had just gotten out of the WWE, like literally, like just gotten out of the WWE That's And tough. he and he was basically there helping out, you know, because he knows Modest and Donovan really well. And he easily could have came and been very like, oh, hey, how's it going, blah, 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 and kind of just chilled and did nothing. And everyone would have appreciated him being there. But he was so, like, in depth with, like, every single person. He was taking notes on every person trying out. He was giving people pointers for stuff. Like, I thought I appreciated that so much when I saw it because I was like, holy shit, like, this dude, like, loves wrestling. Like, that's how much he gives a shit.
1: Yeah, uh, he was really great, and they they also brought in. I don't know if you remember, they brought in Spike too. Yeah, and, and he was the same way. They 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 actually, I think they had such strong friendships with anyone they brought to their school that likewise they returned the favor, and they were really good uh, to the students and stuff too. So.
0: Uh, I'm going to go ahead and this is the last one to finish off on here. I call this the feel-good question of the podcast. This is your pure joy in wrestling, whether it be something before, during, or after the match, something that gives you goosebumps. You get psyched when it happens. You're like, this is why I fucking love this business.
1: Um, It would have to be the audience more than anything, because I get goosebumps when the audience reacts in a way that, you know, you can't really like replicate, you know what I mean? They're, they're like the UGWA I'll bring up. Cause I wrestled there last year and they have a really hot crowd. Um, when they start developing like unique chance just for you. Um, I remember I, I was still growing my hair out for the battle King. Right. So at the time it was like that, that ugly halfway stage. So I had like a little paintbrush ponytail and um, in fact, I think this match just aired, but basically midway through the match, I take a big bump and the ponytail comes loose and I, I feel around and I find the hair tie. So they start laughing um, about the, the, the hair thing and the, the, the announcer is on a PA. So he actually comments on it and everyone starts laughing, right? And then I actually, in my hand, I stretch out the hair tie in front of everybody. And then I go like this and bring it all back and tie it back in the they, Cause they hate the ponytail and it's like, F your ponytail. And it's like, <laughs> that kind of stuff gives me like a high, like no other, because I, you ultimately want to have that connection with the crowd. Um, any kind of a false finish where they react exactly how you want them to, like you want that big, O, and you really want them. To, you want to fool them. Those moments make it all worthwhile for me um social media also now has been great i mean it's it's good and bad right you get the very best and the very worst of it but when you get a lot of people that you've never even met before that you know now see your stuff on some kind of a platform and they take the time out of the day to like post something wow i don't know i've never seen this guy before but he was really great just like that kind of stuff um that that goes a long way to make me feel like this is all worthwhile so if I can make a connection with even just one person over the internet, over something yeah. I performed on, it's great. Um, but m- more so than anything is definitely the, um, the the live reactions from an audience. When the, when you're trying to control them up and down this roller coaster of emotions, and it hits every point exactly how you want. Like there's no better feeling in the world and the wrestlers always talk about it. It's like that adrenaline, that dopamine hit, you know, it's, it's incredible.
0: Well, thank you, brother. I appreciate you being on the show. It's nice (laughs) seeing you again after such a long time, please though, first put yourself over where can people buy merch? Where can they see you on social media, all that stuff. And uh, if you can at the end, maybe give, if they're not too familiar with your work, maybe a couple matches they could look up on YouTube or something that that you're proud of.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So on facebook uh, and on instagram you can find me at battle king dave dutra on twitter it's just at dave dutra because i secured that one early enough Um, you can get all my merchandise which right now i have two brand new battle king t-shirts on pro wrestling tees so that would be pro wrestling slash dave dutra I am working on getting uh, more merchandise in the moment. So you'll have cool looking stickers, cartoon versions of the battle King and stuff. Um, But yeah, uh, YouTube as well. So youtube.com slash Dave Dutra. If you just search for me, you'll find a lot of the newest matches I have. Um, There is a match um, with jungle boy that has a, there's a full cut as well as a five minute cut that has most of the action sequences in there that I'm really proud of. Um, there's a kid named Matt Fury that I wrestled three separate times in this, like, basically like long year long feud at the UGWA. Um, I feel like that's some of my best stuff. It happened all last year. Um, that's all real good. Uh, let's see if there's anything else. Uh, I- I'm really hard on my work. Um, so like, I always try to point people towards the newer stuff just because I feel like I'm always trying to improve and get better. Um, But I I would stick with that stuff first and foremost. The stuff with Matt Fury and Jungle Boy are really great. Um, If you want an old match that I always feel is a classic, um, especially for how young and green we were, there's a match against Matt Carlos at ABW Christmas Chaos in 2010, I believe, which was for the internet title. Um, That one, like... especially for being young kids. Like, I felt like we tore the house down. We got a standing ovation after that match. Um, And we got an impromptu promo promo from the booker. Basically, he stood up out of his chair and immediately called for a rematch, which was not part of the show at all. But the match was so good. He's like, we're going to do this again in January. Um, So that one's on my YouTube channel. Obviously, you have to go back a ways for that. Uh, And then any of my stuff with Jeff Cobb, I've wrestled Cobb like five or six times and Cobb was Cobb is amazing. Like if you watch Jeff Cobb now, he's like even leagues better now than he was then. But Jeff was still an incredible wrestler, even when I first wrestled him. So there's a couple matches on YouTube with Jeff too. Uh, if you want more recent stuff though, uh, definitely like the jungle boy match, uh, anything with the Matt Fury. Um, those are all awesome.
0: So Awesome. Well, thank you very much for being on the show.
1: All right. I appreciate it, Paul. Thanks.